Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending February 4th, 2023. This week, everything in streaming changes. Again. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Kim Hollis, finally taking down the Christmas trees this weekend. No! Did you say trees? I have two, yeah. One is a Disney tree and the other one is like all my classic ornaments I've ever owned. You know, if you keep it up long enough, then it's just a Valentine's tree. That's right. (laughs) With me are Tim Bridey, content creator and gamer, pitching that 2010s show to Netflix. (laughs) J'accuse. I got to get in before everyone else does, because just just wait (laughs) and see what that 90s show does in a couple of weeks. Also, David Mumpower, author of Behind the Ride, streaming media analyst, and stuck in that nether realm with no football or baseball. How many days until pitchers and catchers? Sadness. Uh. And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, who will fight all of you. I will not tolerate stupid people. I don't blame you. (laughs) You just violated the first rule of Fight Club. There was a tidal wave of news this week marking a sea change in the industry. We'll try to cover as much of it as we can in our deep dive. Warner Brothers Discovery announced their free ad-supported streaming partners as shows like Westworld will now be appearing on Roku Channel and Tubi with ads, while the Writers Guild finally got around to blasting Warner Brothers Discovery for their slew of canceled projects. But it was too late to keep the behavior from spreading as Netflix and Showtime both announced the cancellation of projects that had previously been greenlit and in some cases had already wrapped. And just for good measure, Peacock announced the end of their free ad-supported tier and details of Netflix's new plans to end account sharing leaked. Raul, where do you want to start? I just want to go hide under my covers. This whole thing has a vague zombie apocalypse feel for streaming services. Like one got infected and then it just spread with every zombie bite to the other ones. And then just for good measure, Peacock was like, eh, free television. Who wants that? Right as HBO Max deals all its stuff to free television. Let's look at Showtime. The cable channel Showtime is changing its name to Paramount Plus with Showtime. The word plus and the word with are synonymous. Why not call it Paramount Plus Showtime? It'd be at least a little less stupid. American Rust with Jeff Daniels. American Gigolo with John Bernthal. Kidding with Jim Carrey. Let the Right One In. Dexter, New Blood. They're all canceled. And they started pulling episodes of a number of these shows along with Wakefield and Becoming God in Central Florida, which I'll be honest, are two shows I never heard of before. There is a ray of light here with the Dexter franchise, at least, as Showtime appears to be working on a prequel, even though they had previously announced that they would be doing a second season of Dexter, New Blood. So there's going to be two separate things called Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, the streaming service, and Paramount Plus, plus with Showtime. The ca- with Showtime, yeah, plus show- Paramount Plus with Showtime, the, the cable channel. The cable channel. I'm, no, not, not, you, you can't do that. This is a well-established brand, and this is how they're going to phase it out. Little bits at a time in the most terrible way possible. Also, your new name is Streaming Into the Void with Tim. Zaslav has created a brain virus and it has started infecting every other streaming service. He has shown them the path where if a 
show doesn't perform up to its expected levels, there are ways to cut expenses and recoup some of the earnings. It's like we used to have films that would specifically debut at certain times of the year so that they would lose their money and thereby counterbalance some of the money that bigger blockbusters were making. It's the same concept. It's translated now to digital and everything about it is wrong. And you know, Last year, we had that story. It it sent a chill through our spine where one casual HBO Max animated sci-fi show was pulled off the air and just banished into the nether realm. And we, at the time, we were like, "Eh, you know, it's just one show who really cares. But it was the start of something and it was the start of something terrible. I'll squeeze this in over here. Netflix has scrapped two completed movies, The Inheritance and something called Housewife or House slash Wife. I've been returned to the filmmakers and now are being shopped elsewhere. So it's not like they're erasing these shows. They simply decided, no, we don't want to distribute them. At least there's that. But we continue to see other content being erased all over the place. And... It's so frustrating. Let's uh, let's just go to Warner Bros. Discovery for a moment. The company is starting to see a little bit more synergy, so good for them. They have Bill Maher, who hosts Real Time with Bill Maher on HBO, and they have tapped him to host a new show on CNN. So yay, hooray for uh, corporate synergy, but synergy only goes so far because buckle up. I'm going to visit a story that we've been ignoring for a few weeks, and that's that Greg Berlanti, the producer behind a number of shows that have appeared on the CW under the umbrella of the Arrowverse, has a new deal at Warner Brothers Discovery. A few weeks ago, WBD signed him to a new overall deal. The indication is that he could produce reliable, if middling, shows that didn't cost a lot. And under uh, David Zaslov, if you can uh, create reliable, inexpensive content, then you're a get. But with the CW cutting everything in sight, that's a conversation we're not going to have today because there's more there, but you know, we'll cross that bridge some other day. The Arrowverse is pretty much done. Most of those shows have been canceled at this point. In the context of Synergy, apparently Greg Berlanti's deal is with Warner Brothers Television. And if any of his shows want to show up on HBO or HBO Max, he has to sell them to HBO or HBO Max, or Warner Brothers Television has to, which is still the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I don't want to live on this planet anymore. (laughs) This not only feels like one of the biggest weeks in streaming, it also feels like the dumbest week in streaming that we've ever had. So yeah, what's Greg Berlanti doing at Warner Brothers Television and presumably at HBO and HBO Max if all his Arrowverse shows are are pretty much over with? So there's a bigger conversation there, and that conversation goes to James Gunn and Peter Safran. They announced this week, the, uh, the bosses over at DC or DC Films announced what they were going to be doing with their reboot of DC's movie and television projects. While the pair have left the door open, as any good executive will do, for Henry Cavill and Dwayne Johnson to return, they announce a virtual reboot of the franchise that'll hinge on the last movie produced by the old guard, the upcoming Flash movie, which, you know, as a, as a comic book nerd, I always figured, well, if they ever wanted to reboot everything, they'd just wait for their big uh, Flash movie, and then they'd just say, oh, and the universe got reset. We already know that the Flash movie would be working with multiple DC universes, bringing back actors like Michael Keaton as Batman. This now 
now is Gunn and Saffron's opportunity to erase the baggage they don't like and keep the stuff they do. For instance, one of the things they announced was that Viola Davis would be returning as Amanda Waller, and she's going to get her own series, presumably on HBO Max. But they're going to do a new Superman movie that's probably going to be an origin movie. So they're looking for a younger actor, which is why they're saying Henry Cavill is not going to be Superman going forward. So I want to circle around now to Greg Berlanti. Why would the guy who ran the Arrowverse, would he get a new deal at Warner Brothers Discovery unless they were looking to involve some of those Arrowverse characters and actors in the new universe that James Gunn and Peter Safran are creating? Now, this is entirely speculation on my part, you know, comic book nerd speculation. But I think we could expect to see some of those characters and some of those actors start showing up in the new universe that James Gunn and Peter Safran have created. So in other words, your logic is that Berlanti has signed a deal that is regular price for television, but extremely cheap for movies. And so that's the appeal here is he has already proven that he can do acceptable to entertainment on a budget. And that puts him out ahead of the competition and makes him someone they want to remain in business with? Yeah, pretty much. CW quality content on HBO and HBO Max. Because yes, other DC projects that were historically and previously on HBO Max, like Doom Patrol, Titans, and Pennyworth have all been canceled. And you think Berlanti is going to come in and fill the streaming void, as it were? Yes, he will come in and create new shows that are cheaper using presumably some of the same characters he's used previously. So since they're going to have this thing that will reboot everything, does that mean we're going to get rid of Ezra Miller and we're going to get rid of the Flash Abomination? I am willing to speculate on that front. Uh, We haven't heard anything about reshoots. I expect that if they are going to hinge their entire reboot on the Flash movie that they may tack on some extra extra scenes at the end just to show us, oh, look, and we've created a new universe out of this madness that The Flash had to deal with. Now, are they totally going to remove Ezra Miller from the movie and replace him with a different Flash? That would be the sensible thing to do, given the situation with Ezra Miller. But I don't know that they're going to do that. We certainly haven't heard anything about that. I think if they were reshooting entire scenes with a new Flash, we would have heard about that. And we haven't. The other thing we should comment on here is Saffron doubled, tripled, quadrupled down on The Flash. Gunn and him are describing it as one of the best comic book movies ever, which DC always does because they never learn. And on top of that, they went out of their way to describe Batgirl, the film that Zaslav buried, as basically something that was not capable of being released in its current state because it was so bad. And then without a lick of irony, they said they'd love to work with the producers again. And I just want you to stop and think about how bad and lazy these lies are when you'll say, hey, someone just took 150 million of our money. Actually, I guess it was 90 million of our money and brought us a product that was absolutely unwatchable. And we can't wait to work with them again. None of their lies even line up. And I'm just tired of it. Well, it was a $90 million trial balloon. You guys go out there and and, and try again. Don't worry about that $90 million. And Pennyworth was set in the 1960s. It wasn't even going to mess with anything. So there was no reason to cancel it other than they're just cheap. So then we come to the, the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, 
and they have finally stepped up and shown a little backbone. Now they have started becoming a little aggressive in the last couple of years. So it's nice that they're finally standing up to this nonsense that's happening. They have started calling out Warner Brothers Discovery for, you know, canceling projects that they had previously approved for erasing content and going back on what David Zaslav had promised when he said that he would merge Discovery with Warner Brothers, that they would create jobs, that it would be a great atmosphere for Hollywood. Right now, this is a terrible atmosphere for creators in Hollywood. I think... The worst thing that has happened here is that HBO used to be this pinnacle in Hollywood. It was the marquee brand. It was where the top content showed. And now content that was created for HBO, like Westworld, is moving to Roku and Tubi and playing with ads. It's just an embarrassment. It it, it is a shame and it is disgraceful what they have done to these once respected brands. Yeah, the Writers Guild thing is, you know, they're basically the headliners in the 2023 Too Little Too Late All-Stars. They, Karen asked to speak to the manager. The conversation didn't go well. So after a few months, she waited and then she wrote a sternly worded letter. Now, because it is the Writers Guild, it's a very well-written letter, but it means absolutely (laughs) nothing. They're just shaking their fists at the sun and it helps nothing or no one. If they had paid any attention and, you know, vetted David's Zaslav ahead of time, they might have had a plan for this, but no, there was none of that sort of attention to detail. And then we get to the Westworld stuff, and it just makes me think, boy, enjoy the last of this while you can, because if the ratings ever go down, it will vanish from Max, not HBO Max, and it will be seen next on Tubi or Roku, and then, you know, it's not like Roku is making a lot of money right now, which leads me to believe that Fox might actually stumble into something with Tubi here, which wasn't the plan, but it's probably on a par with Pluto TV at this point. And the winner of that might become almost unintentionally one of the most powerful organizations because this fast type of service where, you know, you pay to license the content and then you just air it all the time, that is appealing to people who don't understand how quality television works. And it takes us back to something that Aaron Sorkin used to say, quality is not anathema to profit, but few people on Wall Street understand that. Actually, David, you hit on something that I hadn't even included in the in the notes here. But when you talked about Tubi and Fox, Tubi is the Fox-owned ad-supported streaming service. It was announced last week that Fox, the television network, would renew their deal with Hulu for next day airing of episodes. So if you're watching a show like Lone Star or, yes, The Simpsons or, yes, Family Guy, which are Disney-produced shows, so long as they are in the current season for you to be able to watch those shows right now you have to watch them next day on hulu if you're a hulu subscriber fox has renewed their contract with hulu for next year as well fox seems to believe that it is a really good thing for their shows to play on hulu and the part of the story that isn't being emphasized enough is it's a multi-year deal my understanding is it's at least three years disney understood the fact that it's going to have to make a decision with hulu at some point 
either this year or next year at the absolute latest. And they did not want to go in where they were in a situation where they were losing Fox so soon after losing the NBC Universal content. So they did the smart thing. They have hammered out this agreement and that guarantees the fact that they're going to maintain the Fox programming and their own programming on Hulu. So it was an absolutely vital, essential way to sustain Hulu while Disney figures out the next plan. You mentioned NBC Universal, so let's let's go to the Peacock conversation here. There's been a lot of changes happening at Peacock lately, the latest of which is the fact that they are ending their free ad-supported tier for any new subscribers. You mentioned NBC Universal in the context of the fact that they NBC are pulling or have at this point pulled their next day episodes from Hulu where they were showing up. And now those are showing up on Peacock. I think that's one of the many reasons this is happening now that Peacock has decided that they are strong enough to stand on their own, strong enough to say that we can expect subscribers to pay us for our streaming service. It's a vote of confidence. On top of that, last year they announced that at some point Comcast and Cox cable subscribers would lose access to free Peacock going forward. That is another subscriber base that is going to eventually evaporate. But anytime that Peacock announces subscriber numbers, they announce paid subscribers. I've mentioned this before. Peacock is this weird hybrid of both paid subscribers and free subscribers. And so when they announced last week that they had added in a very strong quarter, 5 million new subscribers, those were all paid subscribers. They don't, they don't even tell us how many free subscribers they have anymore. Those don't even matter. So I, I think they are starting to feel you know a little confident. And a lot of this is the fruits of Kelly Campbell's labor. This is the president at Peacock who came over from Hulu about 16 months ago. We are starting to see a new Peacock here, something that, you know, we could still laugh at from time to time, but this is a streaming service that is starting to look a lot more mature than it has been for a long time. Yeah, as usual, Raul and I just do not line up on Peacock at all. <laughs> what, what he's saying here is not the interpretation I have at this at all. It is Occam's Razor instead. They've taken away the streaming services free tier because they lost nearly a billion dollars, something they announced 10 days ago, and they're tired of losing nearly a billion dollars a quarter. So they're going to make sure that if you're watching Peacock, you're paying for the privilege, no more, no less. But if you look at what Peacock is today with all the content, I mean, they have a hit show. Watch for Poker Face to start showing up in the Nielsen ratings in a couple of weeks. That that one is going to invariably show up uh, and, and be big on the Nielsen's, where at least I sure hope it's going to be, or else I'm going to have a lot of egg on my face in a couple of weeks. All but, I'll say is it would be good to be Ryan Johnson's agent right now. <laughs> Plus, uh, they, they have a hit reality show with Traders. And I think that they still do well with uh, WWE wrestling content. We're not going to go into <laughs> WWE this week because, man, that is a whole different set of hand grenades. That situation has gone insane. We, but we had the, yeah, we had this discussion before we started recording how we were, Roll and I are basically like, yeah, Peacock seems like they're they're doing it, killing it right now. They've got some watchable content. We talked about how Poker Face is getting rave reviews and is has basically the hottest name in, in Hollywood right now in Ryan Johnson. They have some, some exciting uh, new content. And then, you know, they still also have WWE. And I was like, well, David's going to come in and argue with like, well, Peacock is just lighting money on fire. So no, they're they're kind of screwed right now until they get way more subscribers. So yeah, I saw exactly how that conversation was about to go. 
<laughs> You're absolutely right. I mean, we've kind of circled back to something. During the earliest days of Peacock, it would emphasize signups, and they had 52 million signups. I've never forgotten that number because it was so clearly, transparently nonsensical. Just we want to say something positive about our failed streaming service. Since then, what's really happened is in, I don't know, two and a half years, something like that, they've grown from 9 million to 22 million. And that is with the Olympics, the Olympics, two Super Bowls, and taking all of their content off Hulu and putting it on their own service. And that has helped them add 13 million subscribers. And another 2 million subscribers, they'll be halfway to Paramount+. Plus. There are just so many different ways you can say this is still a disaster. Now, if you're asking, are they getting better? Roll is absolutely right. Absolutely right. There are finally positives they can take. But my God, it has taken so long. It's basically like if three years from now, Zach Wilson suddenly became a good quarterback, I wouldn't forget the first few years of his career, you know? But I do see a case to be made right now where there is some buzz around Peacock and folks who want to watch Poker Face, if you're a new subscriber, you're going to have to pay for it, which means that in a matter of a few weeks, they can really expect to add another immense number of subscribers and they're all going to be paying subscribers on Peacock or what is it, the cool kids call it now, Tim? No, no, we're not going to say it because that would imply... But yeah, let's just say it just involves the second syllable. That would imply that Pat McAvee was in any way cool and nobody sees that, yeah. okay? Yeah. All right, let's close this out with Netflix and their plan to reduce or eliminate password sharing. I don't think we can begrudge Netflix for them finally cracking down on password sharers. If there's any backlash, it's unjustified. Who's going to complain about losing access to their free Netflix? You'd be surprised, but <laughs> yeah, I'm not shocked that Netflix is finally taking this this step. But it's not the end all be all. It's not like the end of of the free the free ride because there's there's specifics about it. Yeah, there's options. Certainly, there's going to be the people who complain about how they can't use Netflix in their multiple homes. But boy, talk about a rich people problem. And Netflix has a plan for that. The first part of the plan is pretty straightforward in that you have to log in from your device, from your home location, at least once every 30 days. Bottom line, so long as you're able to identify what your home location is and you log in to Netflix from that location every 30 days, you're going to continue to have access. So if you're traveling for whatever reason, so long as within 30 days you're back home, you should be fine and you, sh you should still be able to use Netflix when you're on the road. But if there is a scenario where you think you're entitled to have Netflix at a second location, there is actually an, a way to add a second location for an additional cost. I think it's been speculated that it's going to be like $2.99 a month. That is not onerous. So even though yes, arguably, if your kid goes off to college, they should be paying for their own Netflix, you could still make it so that your kid continues to use your Netflix account at a different location and it's only going to cost an additional $2.99 a month. Anyway, you cut it, this is more revenue for Netflix. It is either an entirely new subscriber at Netflix or it is $2.99 more on top of what you were already paying. As David's been pointing out, these streaming services need to find ways to make more money. And Netflix, I think, has found another surefire way to make even more money than they were already making. Roll and I were talking about this the other day offline. And I just want to say, even the way Netflix did this was so professional 
and smooth. I had to hand it to them. On February 1st, I got an email with the headline of more benefits with your premium plan. Basically, they wanted to get out in front of the story. So they made sure to tell me that they're going to give me two new things free of charge with my membership, which is better sound and also the ability to download to more devices because there's password sharing. But they never mentioned password sharing in the crackdowns in the email. Instead, it was just, hey, I don't know if you've heard or not, but we're doing some stuff. This is what we're doing. The password sharing stuff, I mean, that's not really our thing. But this... This will help you and your account. And I just thought it was brilliant. I I really did. They controlled the news cycle with their own subscribers in such a competent way. And I just found myself thinking, HBO Max would have just led with, we don't want you sharing passwords, thief. (laughs) A stern message from David (laughs) Zaslaw. Yeah, I don't know how many people are going to be excited about spatial audio. And I am concerned that every time that Netflix wants to add a new feature, they're just going to find a way to make it more expensive before they announce the new feature. 8K video? Sure. Also $29.99 a month. I'd pay that. Yep. (laughs) But they really have done it in a clever way. David's absolutely right. And in fact, my understanding is that if you do want to set up like that second home, it's literally like another account. So the person can create another username and another password. And so that you don't even have to give them your username and password, but they simply are like a sub account of your account. Very clever, very well done. Netflix just seems to always get it right. So here's the fine print as I just happened to log in on my parents' Netflix account. Currently the basic stream plan, 10 bucks a month. Uh, you know, there's a standard plan, which is 1080p, 1549 a month, and then premium, uh, 4K, Ultra, HD, HDR, 20 bucks a month. And then in the fine print, only people who live with you may use your account. Watch on four different devices at the same time with premium, two with standard, and one with basic or basic with ads. So quit your whining. Just go to that 1549 plan and then your kid can watch all the Netflix they want at school. You say that, but I've got friends and family members who are going to suddenly have to find out how much things cost because they've been <laughs> on current my accounts. <laughs> Gosh, at least 10 years, no joke. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. There will be a degree of people who will be sad to angry about this. And I, I saw quite a few of them on social media, but I think this is not as big a deal as it's being made out to be. So that's a lot. We covered most of the streaming services out there. And we didn't even mention the fact that Disney has also decided that they're going to license some of their content, redoing Iger's bold decision from 2016 that we have praised repeatedly since then. Folks, trust me when I say this week was a lot and it was demoralizing. (laughs) Yeah, I am going to take that announcement with a grain of salt. It dropped on a Friday afternoon almost like they were trying to bury it. And I do wonder about that content. Although, yes, Bob Iger laid out the roadmap for how to do it right. Now to do it right costs money. And now they're worried about how much money it's going to cost them. So I am going to wait and see how this one plays out. One single article making a rather nebulous announcement about how something might happen in the future is... I'm going to wait and see. We'll find out a lot more because Disney does its earnings report between this podcast and the next one we'll record. And at that point, I fully expect during the earnings call for Iger to kind of lay out his roadmap because as a reminder, the last time Disney did an earnings call, well, there was a different person running the company. So a lot is going to change. I'm never going to get any rest, am I? (laughs) 
All right. Now, with all that out of the way, Tim, let's talk about the ratings. Yep. We have the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, January 2nd to Sunday, January 8th, 2023. All right. And to probably not the surprise of, of anybody, we have a returning show on top. It is Ginny and Georgia, 20 episodes, 2.5 billion minutes as the second season arrived during this ratings week of 10 more episodes. It's been two years, almost two years since the first one. That was February, 2021. Uh, and we knew it was, a, it was a big hit then. So I'm not surprised at this number at all. Nope. It was very popular then. It's kind of a darker Gilmore Girls sort of knock yeah. off and people dig it. It is a little bit higher than I would have expected, and that was allowing for the success of the season. I was just wondering if it had been too long between shows. We sometimes see that with Netflix, where if there's too large a gap, I feel like the most recent Umbrella Academy kind of suffered from that. This didn't, and that is really, really encouraging that this is, in fact, a brand and something that might go on for four or five seasons. Uh, We do have something new in second, and this is a really solid number for Kaleidoscope. 1.6 billion minutes for eight episodes. Now, this is the high series where the episodes can be watched in any order. Right. If you just pit play on this on Netflix, do they play in a random order or does it play in a specific order and you and you can select to watch them uh, in a different order? I'm just going by what I've read other people I trust say. My understanding is you're going to get the first thing the same no matter what, and right. then it starts varying. And I think that from an introductory perspective, that's kind of how you would have to do it. But I'm not even 100% sure about that. In a way, this is like Bandersnatch as a series. Yeah, it's a pretty brilliant concept for just, you know, to, to switch up the whole, you know, heist genre. Because how, how many of those can there can there be? We saw the money heist go on money for, heist. for seasons and seasons. But yeah, this is a really interesting concept and it did very well. Uh, Wednesday is still here in third, another one billion minutes for its eight episodes. Just one of the biggest shows in Netflix history, just for, for its first season. What the heck? Uh, the only non-Netflix series on the, the original chart this week is Slides to Fourth. It was after, was at, at the top, Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan, 918 million minutes viewed for its 24 episodes. Emily in Paris from Netflix in fifth, <laughs> 727 million minutes for 30 episodes, three seasons now. Uh, something new, Madoff, The Monster of Wall Street, 643 million minutes for this four episode docuseries. Guess at least it's not serial killers. I guess. Sure. It's actually a really strong number to just have four episodes. Yeah, I was too. thinking the same thing. Yeah, yeah that, some of the, some of these docuseries with just limited numbers, yeah, really do pop a surprisingly high number for a limited amount of, of episodes. Yeah. He'll always be the guy who ruined the New York Mets for me. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Is there forgiveness in your heart yet, Tim? No. Never. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, but thankfully, thankfully we're, we're, we're past that now because those guys don't own the team anymore. Yeah, I'm sure that Steve Cohen has done nothing shady in a business term. No, not at all. Perhaps absolutely. The one good billion, <laughs> the one good billionaire we had. <laughs> uh, the Recruit has been around for a while now. That's here in seventh, 536 million minutes. The Circle is back in eighth, 500 million minutes for now 58 total episodes. It got a new season on the end of, end of December, added episodes on the 4th, four more to come on the 11th, because they do they do structure this one for over over a couple weeks, and then a finale on the 18th. So we'll see it hang around for a couple more weeks. But yeah, you know, it's five seasons in, this the show makes an appearance every single time we get new episodes. Uh, 
uh, The Crown back on the list in ninth, 308 million minutes for its 50 episodes and five seasons. And returning to the list for some bizarre reason, Stranger Things, 284 million minutes for its 34 episodes. Ah, you got me. Didn't add anything. It's just, I guess maybe it was one of those shows just still hanging around on the, the next 10, even after it parted the, the, the top 10 and it was a light week. So there you go. Over movies, it is still led by Glass Onion and I was out in this three, 935 million minutes for this Excellent, excellent movie. And Brian Johnson is king of streaming right now. Mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure Poker Face is also doing very well for, for Peacock. A performance so good that it earns a free iPad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do have a surprisingly strong debut in second. This is The Pale Blue Eye, 729 million minutes. Wow. Yep. We're all trying to figure this one out. I mean, this is definitely in my wheelhouse in terms of a movie I would like to see, but everybody else as well. <laughs> and this this actually arrived on the 6th. So this is just a three-day number. So this might even Ooh. do better next week and might not finally knock Glass Onion off the top. Good Lord. How is this possible? You did not like... get this vibe at all from the from when we talked about it with that week. Yeah, right. yeah I know. And the reviews are middling, too. Oh, that's disappointing. I, I was just going to say, it's the guy who did Crazy Heart. I love him. His name is Scott Cooper. Oh, yeah. He hasn't done anything anywhere near Crazy Heart since then. And, you know, it's not like this was the awards contender they were hoping it would be. So I, I was captivated by this number. I think it's exceptional. We have something else new in third. This is from HBO Max, at least for now. Uh, the Menu, 491 million minutes. And I consider that really good. It's one I really don't want to watch because I suspect I know what it's about. And <laughs> but this is a really stellar number for HBO Max because, I mean, you know, we've, we've been joking about the performance of Black Adam, which wasn't that much better than this for 100 times the price. Right. And fourth, we also have something quote unquote new, Jurassic World Dominion, 453 million minutes from uh, Amazon Prime. Now this is- Wait, what? This is new to Amazon Prime, but not new to streaming because this is once again, part of that whole universal deal where after its theatrical release, it showed up on Peacock in September and then (laughs) was there for a few months where apparently nobody watched it. But then now part of the deal is it moves to Prime Video for 10 months before returning back to Peacock for four more months. So once it once it left that peacock and arrived on Amazon, they must have advertised it. And there you have it. I think I'm only halfway through watching it on Peacock, and I'm wondering if like I leave it paused where it is, <laughs> if I can come back to it. <laughs> will it remember it? Right. If you wait, if you wait ten months, will it remember where you left off? That's going to be my science experiment for 2023. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, not not the first film we've seen this happen to, but it just it, this, this whole deal, deal with that Universal has with the streaming services just really cracks me up. Uh, then we do have a bunch of stuff we have seen previously. Fifth, the top-rated Disney Plus movie for the week, Strange World, 433 million minutes. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Matilda the Musical, 364 million minutes from Netflix in sixth. White Noise, 353 million minutes in seventh. Uh, Disney's Encanto, 298 million minutes trolls from netflix 273 and wrapping up movies is avatar from disney plus 270 million minutes acquired is 10 shows we've seen before once again led by coco melon dangerously close to a billion minutes with 960 million uh, i will point out we do have the return of the walking dead in second 905 million minutes as the 11th and final season showed up on netflix on the 6th so now the series is complete, 177 total episodes, and that launched it back to second. I'm surprised for, for a show that went well past its prime, still did extremely well. 
uh, I don't know too many people who who stuck with it through through the end, but I guess some people were just waiting to see how it wrapped up, and that, that's a pretty I, impressive like number. The procedurals and whatnot, where just like once you start watching something, there are some people who are just like, yeah, all right, it's Supernatural Day, so let's watch Supernatural. <laughs> it's The Walking Dead Day. It's yep. Criminal Minds. Mm-hmm. NCIS, Grey's Anatomy. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Overall, not not a huge week in in ratings. It is sort of a, a little bit of the post-holiday come down, but that's still, you know, solid numbers from Diddy and Georgia and Kaleidoscope. I don't recall if there's going to be any anything out in the following week that's going to crush the movies list, but I would keep an eye on the Pebble Eye to see if it takes a, a jump next week after just that three-day number. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's all for the ratings for this week. Thank you for all that rating info, Tim. In our green lights and cancellations this week, actress Phoebe Denever revealed this week that she'll no longer be appearing on the Netflix smash Bridgerton. When the actor who played her husband on the show, Roger Jean Page, left after season one, there was a huge uproar. So far, I don't know that uh, fans of Bridgerton have uh, really been as upset about her character's departure. It's also pretty remarkable that they've basically got rid of the lead characters from season one so gradually. Well, Shonda Rhimes does seem to have figured a formula out for Bridgerton that seems to focus on different characters every season. So if that's what works for her, and evidently the actors from past seasons don't seem to be all that upset that they're not returning. So I guess it works. The Sundance Film Festival occurred at the end of January, and streamers were there in force with their pocketbooks wide open. Netflix picked up the thriller Fair Play for a whopping $20 million. Fair Play is considered uh, pretty commercial for a Sundance movie, but that's fine. It stars Alden Enenrich, who played Han Solo in Solo, and the aforementioned Phoebe Dinover. The whole thing to me is like if you go on eBay and you see something you like and you bid $2,000 and then you look at it and you realize it has a buy it now price of $99. That's kind of what happened here compared to what everyone else was paying at Sundance this year. Would that it were so simple, David? Would that it were. (laughs) At HBO, there is no surprise that The Last of Us has been renewed for a second season after huge ratings. There is something fundamentally wrong in the universe when David Zasloff can systematically destroy everything good about HBO Max and be rewarded with a show on the quality level of The Last of Us. It is just not right. It does stun me, yeah, how HBO has just done amazing in terms of viewership and quality when you see things like House of the Dragon did did great. We saw White Lotus do very well. And now this is both critically and commercially absolutely killing it. And I can't wait to see it show up on Acquired in, in a couple of weeks. But yeah, HBO is doing amazing. HBO Max is is an absolute dumpster fire. And yeah, so there's just this weird dichotomy there as, as to what's happening. I take some pleasure in the knowledge that The Last of Us is based on a franchise developed by Naughty Dog, and that is a company that is owned by... I know they they also made they also made Uncharted, right? Yeah. Yep. That is a studio that is owned... Oh, God, they're owned by Sony. That's correct. Oh. <laughs> so not all of that money is going to Warner Bros. Discovery. I also want to say, just because I think it's important, the video game actress 
of tests was Annie Wershing. Annie Wershing died at 45 this week from cancer. We have mentioned her several times on this podcast because she was terrific in Timeless. She was terrific in Marvel's The Runaways. And most recently in season two of Picard, which I had a love-hate, mostly hate relationship with, she played the Borg Queen. And we've only since found out they were putting her in this ridiculous costume and makeup. It was taking hours. She had cancer the whole time and didn't tell anybody because she was that much of a pro and I just felt like we needed to mention that. There's more Sundance news as Apple has picked up Flora and Son from writer-director John Carney and starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Eve Houston, Bono's daughter. It's believed that Apple paid just under $20 million for his project, which is significant because Carney's biggest movie of his career was 2007's Once, which only grossed about $20 million at the box office. I don't see how this is going to be profitable for Apple, but sometimes when you have a trillion dollars in the bank, you just have to burn some of it. <laughs> that money is well spent to be able to work with John Carney on anything. Apple TV Plus did cancel The Mosquito Coast, starring Justin Theroux and Melissa George after two seasons. Apple TV Plus canceled Canceled the show? That doesn't happen. But don't you worry, the bilingual comedy Acapulco, starring Eugenio Derbez, has been renewed for a third season. Woohoo! I love him! I just happened to catch the trailer for season two uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I was, and I was, you know, hey, this looks pretty nice. I wonder when that's. Oh, that was last year. <laughs> so, <laughs> not exactly on our radar, and probably not exactly in our wheelhouse either. But it is a pretty solid comedy, and Eugenio Derbez seems to always deliver. So I guess Apple agrees. Over at Disney Plus, the Mysterious Benedict Society is over after only having adapted two of the four books in the series. And Disney's efforts to make a success out of any young adult franchise fails again. I look forward to them struggling with Percy Jackson next. Poor Artemis Fowl. <laughs> oh my Who God, I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, just awful. That's Disney Plus's attempts in a nutshell right there. Hulu has announced that they're reviving the animated Mike Judge comedy King of the Hill with the original cast returning. Kim looked at me and she said, somebody saw all these complaints about gas ovens. They thought of propane, <laughs> propane accessories and called Mike Judge. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. I'm like, oh, gosh, Hank's going to be in an existential crisis because of propane and propane accessories being a problem. My wife is brilliant, y'all. But it's not all great news at Hulu as Kindred and Reboot have been canceled after only one season. Oh, well, I'm so sorry. When I saw Reboot got canceled, I felt so bad for you. Yeah, yeah. Reboot was a tough one. I felt that one had a lot of potential and I really enjoyed the season they had. Kindred, I'm not surprised. It's based on a book and I would have assumed that they would have adapted the book and been done with it, but I guess they needed to announce that they weren't doing any more. I really thought that one was going to be much more of a hit than it turned out to be. So yeah, canceled. No surprise there. 
Peacock has been making moves as well, canceling both One of Us is Lying and Vampire Academy, but they've picked up Apples Never Fall, a limited series starring Annette Bening, and renewed The Traders for a second season as the reality competition show appears to have clicked with viewers. Uh, it also looks like they're going to do a reunion show for the first season of The, the Traders, and then they're going to have another second whole season. So uh, that must be doing better than, than we thought. And I'm pretty happy to hear that because it was definitely entertaining and Alan Cumming as a host was a delight to just chewing all the scenery he possibly could. But really what the kids wanted to see was that drama with Annette Bedding. (laughs) 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 And finally, Sylvester Stallone's family is joining the Kardashian, Osborne and Simmons families and getting their own reality show. Paramount Plus will be promoting the show heavily during the Super Bowl this year. I'll say it. I enjoyed their their Paramount Mountain gag trailer that they had for the show. I'm not going to watch it. I don't think I need to see what's happening with Sylvester Stallone's family behind the scenes. But this is the kind of stuff that a lot of people really eat up. The best commercial, though, for that was the one where they had Keegan-Michael Key. Yes. The substitute teacher scene with all yep. the animated characters. Yeah. Go go find that if you haven't seen it. It's, it's hysterical. Oh, God. It is very funny. I'm also going to be a little bit cynical about this. Stallone married a model named Jennifer Flavin in the late 1990s. They got divorced in 2022. They got divorced in August. They reconciled in September. And I can't shake mm. the that he said, we've got Paramount money if you come back and get back together with me for a while. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, boy. As always, we finish the show with what's been keeping us busy over the past week. And along with the most recent episode of The Last of Us, which was every bit as good as everyone may have told you, I also finished reading a book called Slewfoot by an author and artist named Brom. He just goes by Brom. It was a scary book that I thought was going to go a direction and then wound up going a very completely opposite way in the finale. And I'm not sure that I liked the finale, but otherwise I enjoyed what he did with the story and he includes some different portraits of his characters at the end that he created. And I liked that a lot, what his vision of those different characters looked like. Raul, how about you? I've been watching Poker Face on Peacock. What the hell? Why am I always talking about Peacock shows? This series created by Ryan Johnson, written and directed every episode, the creator of Knives Out and the sequel Glass Onion, stars Natasha Leone as Charlie, a woman who can instinctively tell if you're lying. Now, I'll tell you, Natasha Leone is very much an acquired taste, and a lot of people really didn't necessarily warm up to her in her last show, Russian Doll. But I think she is perfect for this role. The The series is a, really an homage to late 70s, early 80s cop drama. The credit sequences at the beginning all play like you're watching maybe an episode of the Rockford Files or Magnum P.I. It's it's just really comical in that way. Charlie ends up in a different situation every week where she finds herself having to solve a crime. And uh, every episode has a different cast of characters. Uh, Given that it's Ryan Johnson, you could expect that there's going to be A-list actors in almost every episode. I think there are five episodes into the season. 
Uh, they're putting them out weekly. There is a single plot thread throughout the entire series that starts in the first episode, but uh, she does travel from town to town solving crimes. It's really entertaining. It's very clever. The fact that it involves oftentimes murder does make it dark. You do feel for the victims. No way around that. But I really enjoy it. It's it's very it's very well written, very well shot, and I highly recommend it. And I think uh, I think it's eight episodes total, so it'll be wrapping up in a couple of weeks. All right. How about you, Tim? Uh, I also watched something on Peacock, which is why Roll and I think this service is doing great. And then David's like, no, they're they're losing money hand over fist because, you know, we had the Royal Rumble this, this past weekend, as I uh, hinted at last week. And it was very solid. The men's Rumble was, was great. Uh, the women's Rumble was watchable. But the, the real reason to watch it was not just the main event, the match between Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens, but what was going to happen afterwards. And the story that they've been telling is just an astonishing work of art. And they they added a fantastic new new wrinkle to it. They made this crowd absolutely hate Roman Reigns after, you know, maybe, maybe the last year of kind of, even though he's supposed to be a bad guy of kind of getting, getting on his side, but he is now the most hated guy in wrestling because of this. And it was just absolute art. This whole storyline is one of the best things they've done in years. The Royal Rumble is is always fun. This was the first one booked entirely by you know Triple H with Vince McMahon out of the, the creative picture, thankfully. Yeah, it was entertaining. I was kind of hoping for a little more surprise entrance in the Men's Rumble, but they they told some stories. They established some WrestleMania matches and it was uh, a, a satisfying, satisfying ending. So yeah, thumbs up for WWE for this pay-per-view. And we'll wrap it up with David. Yeah, we watched the Royal Rumble and it was terrible, wasn't it, Kevin? <laughs> <sighs> it really was so bad. <laughs> they had Bray Wyatt character. I don't know who he was supposed to be, but he was supposed to jump off heights to a table. Oh, yeah, he missed. Yeah. By five yeah. feet. And then lightning exploded anyway because they didn't know what else to do. It's, it's I, I didn't mention that part, but yeah, he he is. You he never mentioned these parts. It's like they don't count for some reason. He's the master book. of setup, and then the execution is the the worst thing ever. We love. Bray Wyatt as a human being. Just love him. He needs editing uh, in acting. You know, they'll occasionally run into people who are creative geniuses, but they need someone who can tell them no. Bray Wyatt desperately needs that person in his life because a lot of this stuff goes wrong. There was an Alexa Bliss match. It was terrible. The Women's Royal Rumble was painful. I mean, just excruciating to watch. Most of the Men's Royal Rumble, there were no surprises. The people who were in it, just it's, it's so played out by this point. There's just no originality to it. The big spot in the match was two idiots looked at each other and then they jumped and collided chests and that went super viral and I'm just like, what's the point of that and who's that supposed to hurt and why didn't you just get out of the way instead of going, hey, let's jump into each other. <laughs> yeah, but it looked cool and that's what counts. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Uh, so uh, AEW's just spoiled me. I can't watch bad wrestling anymore and that's all <laughs> WWE is. I do want to say, we love Kevin Owens. We love of Sami Zayn, and it did seem like that storyline had a really great payoff. And I look forward to see what's happening next, just as I look forward to seeing my theory, which I'm pretty sure is right, where Triple H is quietly sabotaging Cody Rhodes, who he has every reason to hate. <laughs> Cody Rhodes, the face, goes in at number 30 in the Royal Rumble and then can barely beat the guy who's been in since the very first it's thing. Number one, yeah. Yeah, these are the sorts of things you do when you're kind of sending a 
signal without saying anything. It, it was just a mess. But we did watch Critical Role's first episode of season two, and the Chroma Conclave is here. And as a longtime Critical Role viewer, I am so so happy and i cannot wait to watch the rest of the season and i also want to say as a writer there aren't many times where i think to myself oh wow that is beyond my ability i have that sort of ego that last of us episode is beyond my ability that was brilliant storytelling and there was two simple lines of dialogue very early in the episode that established not just that one of the characters was gay but also that the other one the seemingly unlikely one was gay and just in complete and total pain it was a masterpiece i was in awe of it it was beautiful thank you for listening to streaming into the void Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingVoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Streaming Void. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 